our narratives, your narratives that are going on in your mind, which are made up of mostly sanskaras of the past. In other words, they're automatic. You find yourself thinking your thoughts. You don't create them. You're the victim of them. As Nietzsche was talking about, even when getting an inspiration, he had nothing to do with it. We are spectators in regard to the thoughts. They are in the terrain of the other. Uh, they're not your thoughts, even if they claim to be. So uh, your thoughts create uh, results as a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, uh, and the more that you believe and have a certain expectation about something, particularly about how you will be treated, how you are seen by the other, who the other is to you and what they want from you, and all the, uh, the internal intrigues that the ego, superego diet are involved in, and sometimes very sadomasochistic uh, sorts of uh, collusions, uh, these things get projected into the world and then become a life of suffering. That, and, and your complaint about the other and how you are uh, not treated as you deserve is always an externalization of an internal uh, battle that's going on in your own mind, okay? Because there's nothing outside of your mind, no matter what level of mind that you happen to be at. And so this is why changing your discourse changes your reality, changes your life. The ego wants to change their life without changing their discourse and, and make the other change in order for me to feel better. But that won't do anything to the sanskaras or those uh, narratives. So, at every assemblage point on the Kundalini ladder, there is a different kind of discourse, right? So, if you are at the first assemblage point, you are probably involved in a discourse that centers around uh, security financial security and the security of a safe environment and the security of a bank account and the security of relations of support and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it's all pretty much about safety and um, making sure that things are under control. And that includes having uh, positive uh, feedback from the other, because if I don't get the other's approval, I'm not safe. I could be abandoned. My security depends on the other. So with that kind of a narrative and a, of a discourse, creating the objects of dependency that you are believing uh, you must have, then you get stuck in a world where indeed you may have all of those things that uh, you were afraid of not having, but they will be bondages, not gifts. 
they, they, those things that you desire for the sake of the ego are the chains that hold you down to ego consciousness. So uh, that uh, assemblage point offers a discourse that's uh, very uh, sabotaging to your higher development. Because if you want to develop to the second assemblage point, where the discourse is about power, you've got to trade your uh, security for the quest for power, which can put you into very insecure situations. Right? In a way, at the second assemblage point, you're a gambler. You have to take risks in order to gain power. And, uh, and there's a, a different kind of an attitude toward the other, but you're always creating a, uh, a kind of a gamble that uh, much of the time will either not pay off or not be worth uh, the payoff, worth the effort. But because the power is never real, it's always based on fictions, right? At the third uh, assemblage point, the, the issue is uh, uh, the, the, the individual's narrative is, yes, I want uh, sublimation. I want beauty, truth, uh, love, joy. I, I want uh, goodness, but I'm not worthy of it. I, and I can't bring it about. So. At each of these assemblage points, you have to change the discourse. At the first assemblage point, you have to uh, tell yourself and really get it that the only security any of us have is God. If you don't take refuge in God, you will never feel secure. No matter how much money you have, no matter how much food you have stocked up, no matter how many guns you have, you know, ready to defend your property, or you know, all the things people do uh, to try to feel safe and secure, uh, it's not going to do it. You'll you'll be in a raging, paranoid state, and uh, uh, you you will never find peace. Right? And you'll be bringing about the very dangers that you are uh, trying to avoid by projecting them out there. So at the first assemblage point, you turn it around by recognizing that the source of security is God. At the second assemblage point, you realize that the only power, real power, is God. And if you want power on this plane, you need the almighty power backing you. And it will only back you if the use of that power is, is uh, accurate in the service of goodness, non-corrupt, and, uh, and serving the whole. At the third assemblage point, you have to realize this. Your mind is creating signifiers of unworthiness that become your, uh, your ballast, your, your weight uh, that you're carrying that keeps you uh, earthbound. And therefore, holding on to such signifiers 
is what is unworthy. Right? In the same way that, you know, uh, in, the, uh, in the Torah, when uh, Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's a, uh, going toward the burning bush, you know, and wants to uh, speak with God, God says, wait, first take off your shoes. Then you can come, right? So what does the need to take off the shoes mean? Obviously, we do that here in India. You take off your shoes everywhere, and you know, especially in sacred uh, precincts like temples, etc. But what does it mean? You know, if you analyze the parts of a shoe, it not only has a sole, it has an insole, <laughs> and uh, it has a throat and it has a tongue, right? These are uh, important parts of a shoe. Well, it, it represents the discourse that is going on in your mind because the shoe is catching the dirt of the world. And your discourse, if it's in one of those lower assemblage points, it, it is uh, catching all of the dirt of its attachment to matter, its identification to the material world, not to the spirit and not to uh, the freedom of God consciousness. So you take off your shoes means you must drop your discourse. All of the discourses of the lower three assemblage points if you wish to be in the presence of God. Right? Now at the fourth assemblage point, there is love of God, but that love is in duality. And, and one's uh, attitude is generally that of a, of a dualistic relationship to God, uh, as if you are a soul and a child of God, but God is the supreme soul and uh, who is other. And uh, you can love God and try to get close to God, but you and God are never gonna be one. You know? but, but the love will give you that feeling but it won't be real oneness. It'll just be a, a feeling of that and a, a hope and a, a, a joy of having connection, but still in duality and, and separation. At the fifth assemblage point, when the booty is awakened, then the, uh, the narrative changes to a kind of uh, what in, in the Sanskrit would be called the vishishtadvaita. It's, yes, I know that non-duality is the truth, but I'm not in it yet, but I know one day I will be. But it puts it off into the future, okay? And it says, yes, I know that's what's real, but I don't feel it, I don't, uh, I don't uh, vibrate at that, that frequency. And, uh, and so it stays in a symbolic relationship there is love and there is uh, symbolic understanding, but there isn't the final consummation uh, of, of uh, non-dual union. It's not until the sixth uh, assemblage point that the discourse comes of the realization that once you are in union with God, you are no longer in time or space, you're in eternity. And so even if that eternity comes in the future, what you will discover in the future when you enter eternity is that you were always in it because eternity has no past, 
no beginning, no end. There is no time. And so once you know that I'm going to enter at some point uh, the state in which the illusion of time and of a future, which is a separation from God, who is pure presence, uh, once, once you recognize that that is still a delusion, because space and time are not real, eternity is now. And there's no waiting. And so at the sixth assemblage point, the, the discourse uh, drops into a, an immediate state of uh, ecstasy uh, of, the, of the presence of, uh, of God as I. And then in the seventh chakra, even that is transcended. None of it ever happened. So, in the in the rise of uh, of our Kundalini, uh, which, which is one way of expressing the universal goal of every religion, the pragmatic concept that we have offered, which is stillness, you will find present as the goal stated by the sages of each religion. I was going to bring in that big pile of books again, which have um, statements of, uh, of, of the goal of stillness as being the point of religion from Christianity, from a Vedic uh, sage, from a Buddhist, from a Taoist, and not tell you which tradition. And, and you wouldn't know which they are. They're identical. The phrasing is identical. Every religion, this is the goal. So you don't need to have any doubt. Not, there's no argument about it. Stillness is it, okay? You, so you may not believe the apophatic uh, concept. You may not believe that God is uh, inconceivable or reality is or you are. You, you cannot you buy that and resonate with it. You cannot buy that ultimately God is all and there is nothing but the I and uh, we are all that now. You don't have to buy that. And at lower assemblage points, in a way, you can't grok either of those two. But you can grok the need for stillness, knowing that your discourse is the obstacle at every level. And stillness gets you beyond every discourse to immediately be able to jump to chakra seven. So it's the direct path. Stillness is the immediate path that requires no time. And when that stillness is gained with the knowledge that indeed you are inconceivable, and therefore any attempt to figure it all out with words uh, is hopeless, then there's no uh, motivation to keep chattering, to try to theorize what's happening to me and understand my sanskaras and understand you know, the whole structure of reality. You won't get it until you've reached silence and the intelligence of God is granted because you have attained non-duality. And then you'll know 
But trying to figure it all out from the ego level is hopeless. And it blocks you from the very thing you're trying to get to. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste.